This podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Vital Smarts. From over 30 years of research, Vital Smarts has found two behaviours that arise when we're faced with a tough conversation. What you might find yourself doing is holding back, not knowing what to say until one day you explode. Vital Smarts will teach you the speak up skills to be able to talk to almost anyone about almost anything. So visit vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM for a special listener offer. He's been warned by FINA, gutless FINA. I mean, you know, how gutless really are they that they haven't stood up to this? For him to say that he's disrespected China, no, you've disrespected China, not Mac Horton. Mac Horton, my big tip to you is get off Instagram and get off Facebook because it is criminal what people are saying and threatening to do. And we know what Adam Goods went through and I just wonder if the AFL players, who now feel guilty about the fact they didn't do enough, had actually sat down and done something unprecedented and maybe... It would never have got as bad as it did. But we've been doing vegetarian on Monday nights for eons before it even became cool to be a flexitarian. Oh, that's amazing. And a flexitarian is? I was hoping you'd ask me that. (laughs) The thing about raving about your kids and how much you love your kids and how much they've made you complete is people who don't have children in the room feel incomplete and like, well, what are we, chopped liver? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corrie Perkin and this week, along with Queen Elizabeth, Sir David Attenborough, Dick Van Dyke, Angela Langsbury and Don't Shoot the Messenger, we all turn 93. Did you know that, Caro? <laughs> what a researcher you are, Corrie. We're I know sitting... you love these little bon mots I come up with. We're sitting here wet and bedraggled. We you attempted... don't look a day over 52, darling. We attempted to do a tan, but it got too wet, so we jumped ship and we're here early. To record, as you say, episode 93 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. It's creeping up, Corrie. It is creeping up. The big up. ton. I wonder whether we'll receive a little telegram from the Queen. <laughs> Dear Caroline and Corrie, happy birthday. We've done enough royals for a few yes, weeks. I think we'll we just have, leave the We're not on royals. Away. We have so much to talk about, not royals, and we are sitting here in our wet clothes with Miss Jane, who has brought in the most beautiful early blossom. Um, what to discuss? We've got a bit on Adam Goods, Julia Child, Man on the Moon, Boris Johnson, Caro has a crush, I'm grumpy, and Caro's going to fill us in on the new film, the uh, Palm Beach, I think it's called, Caro, with our favourites, Sam Neill and Brian Brown. Yes. Can't wait to hear you yes, review I'm, that. Yes, I've got a few things I want to say about Palm Beach, uh, which we will do soon. First, housekeeping and apologies. Just one little bit of housekeeping, or it's really a GLT. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Caro, I was talking about being in the London hotel where the lady uh, got up from her table and chair to go to the breakfast buffet, to go to the breakfast buffet while she was away. She had all of her bags stolen. Our friend Anita has told us about a friend of hers who was trying on shoes in a shoe shop, walked over to the mirror, came back and her bag had been taken. So put put the new shoes on, went over to the mirror, which would what, be like three metres or something in a normal shoe shop, came back and her bag had been taken off the settee. Oh, look. So watch out, ladies and gentlemen. Hold um, on to your stuff. I've got a f- couple of little apologies. Well, I'm not apologising, but Laura Kaninmouth has come come into the podcast. I, lovely Laura. I know Laura. No, 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 no. She's not happy with my good local tip about the $15, $20 Kmart jeans. Based on um, 
based on Kmark, approximately 70% margin and 20% freight charge. They would be costing the retailer $2.90. Take away fabric cost and manufacturer's margin. The cost is approximately $0.50 cents to $0.75. Cents. Someone is not being paid fairly. She That's probably, a good point, Laura. She does make a good point. That's a really good point. Well, can I, can I, say, can I do it just one? I think you should. Well, maybe the Channel 9 wardrobe girls who gave you the tip should. <laughs> well, you know that they don't. You know that it, it, it's a it's a bargain. As is buying a coat at the moment. Why would you buy a coat in Melbourne before the end of June when everything goes on sale? And that beautifully expensive, beautifully um, made but very expensive coat goes from a lot of money to half the price, and you get it for the coldest part of winter anyway. So mm, there you go. There you are. Um, I've got a little apology to my beautiful eldest daughter, Rose, who's been making a podcast herself for the Domain magazine and Domain online empire, for um, which is now, of course, um, owned by Channel 9, I guess, isn't it? It's Channel 9, Fairfax, The Age. Um, it's called Somewhere Else. And last week's episode, it was downloaded a few days ago, about a 25-year-old girl who made a sea change all by herself. It's all about people who live in unusual places. So I'm tipping that. Um, it's Why called, is that an apology? Because you hadn't given I it I should have mentioned before. it last week, and it's actually really good. They've got She's got people living in lighthouses and boats. What and a great idea for a podcast. Sheds. I know it is. It's really good. She's done it with her colleague, January Jones. It's called Somewhere Else. Oh, now, tell me that's not their real name. Her name's January Jones. That sounds like a Hollywood actress well, of the 1950s. Well, she's an actress on Mad Men, and she is a real actress, January Jones, but it's not her. It's another one. It's oh, an okay. Aussie version. All right. okay. Corey, people loved your Yotam Ottolinghi apple cake, but um, Carmel Markham wants to know how she can do it without burning the apple. Yes, well, I see that Carmel has said that the cake needed an extra 20 minutes in her oven, and then, of course, the apple was burnt. So this is interesting, Carmel, because I cooked this down at my beach place, and the oven down there is a bit weaker than the one in town, I've noticed. And so probably my oven down there is not full bore. I would suggest that when you check at the one-hour mark with, with your little skewer, if it still needs a bit more, I'd probably turn the oven down a bit so your apple doesn't burn. I have to say my apple on the top was cooked and it needed only another five minutes, if that. But I'd, as I said, I have a weak oven. So maybe that's what you do. You cook it according to the recipe and then you bow out. Miss Jane's got her hand up here. I have this issue when I burn my granola all the time. I actually, if there's anything with a crunchy top, just put an oven rack right at the top and then a Turn baking the tray that's empty to deflect the top heat of the oven. Oh, it seems to just deflect, idea. whether it's just my crappy oven that has a lot of heat at the top, but just, you know, put your cake down a little bit lower, allow space for a rack and a couple of empty oven trays, which will just, just to protect that burning heat. Oh, what a oh, good GLT, Janie. That's really good. Anyway, Carmel, we'll have, give it another go because, it, as we agreed, it is a beautiful recipe. Now, Carol, we've had a lot of feedback on the Adam Goods documentary that screened last week on Channel 10. And uh, I was watching it in real time and texting you about my comments. And I was so incredibly, as your friend and your colleague, so incredibly proud of your stand from the get-go, as they say. You were uh, appalled by varying members of society's response, including the AFL or their lack of response. 
And we have been inundated here at Don't Shoot the Messenger with messages of praise for your stand. So on behalf of all the potties, if I read you read it all out, Caro's head would explode and we'd be here for three hours. But I'm just going to give you a round of applause, Kaz, for that great, you know. It, it was a, a beautiful piece of work by Ian Darling, wasn't it? Stunning. It was edited so cleverly. And it, it, it I think, you know, Ian Darling has made a lot of unbelievable films and with his good pitch that he does every year at Sydney. I mean, he does so many wonderful things as a documentary maker. He's won awards. He's He goes to Sundance every year. But this, I think, is the most public thing he's ever done in terms of mainstream media. And, um, of course, it's coincided with The Australian Dream, the Stan Grant documentary, which opens the Melbourne Film Festival on August 1, which I still haven't seen and which Adam Goods has actually Been part taken of. part in. Mm-hmm. But I just... I just all I want to say is at the end of next year, Adam Goods becomes eligible for the Hall of Fame, the Australian Football Hall of Fame. As it stands at the moment, I can't see him turning up to accept that induction. And I just think the AFL has a lot of work to do still to put their arms around Adam and make him feel welcome back into the AFL community because despite the fact he still goes to the footy once a year to a Sydney Swans game and still goes to all the Sydney Swans big events – he doesn't feel welcome back in the AFL world. And that written apology from the AFL industry, I just thought was, uh, well, it was too little too late for me. And I've got to get past this. It makes me angrier, this issue, than the Essendon drugs issue. And that was divisive as well. Do you mean the AFL's response to the Essendon drugs issue? Oh, no, no. I thought the just AFL generally. really struggled there. No, just, just to, as an issue that the way he was booed and the way people didn't stand up for him at the time. And it was to some extent drawn on club lines mm. and I didn't, which is what happened with Essendon. I just, it, it just makes me feel so terribly sad. And you look back and when you watch that film and you watch him slowly fall apart, don't you, physically and mentally over a three-year period, but he never raises his voice. He just continues to quietly make his points about Australia and their attitude to their Indigenous culture and their Indigenous people, their first people. It's just so, so sad. Well, the documentary certainly set up the agenda for people's chat over the weekend in the bookshop, at dinner on Saturday night, playing a game of golf on Sunday. It was the discussion. And I'm sure that my little cohort, we weren't alone. Uh, and the bookshop people were coming in on Saturday wanting to debrief about it. It um, it was great. It was uh, I loved I loved the way that Ian Darling had just let the words and the vision speak for themselves. So there's no editorialising. He just tells it from a chronological order. So you, the viewer, are allowed to make your mind up. And clearly, this had more to do with just than just Adam Goods, a good football player. It has something to do, I think, with him being voted Australian of the Year. Oh, it completely did. And all of a sudden, the racist, the race, the racist elements out there suddenly thought, "No, back in your box, boy." You know, and it just all flared from there. Well, well, I mean, when Rosie Batty became Australia of the Year, she campaigned against domestic abuse and domestic violence, and that that is sort of your role if you accept this role. And the AFL campaigned heavily for at behind the scenes for Adam to get this award. So he was doing what you should do. And yet, get people, people said, thinking. Oh get no, people no, thinking. no, 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 no! This yeah. isn't this isn't your right. This isn't your right to say this. It's interesting that um, I had um, I had my not biannual, triannual, four times a year girls old school gang card night on Friday night. Where look, I did have a glass of champagne. So, but I've been pretty good. But I, <laughs> I wouldn't more, more say on the challenges in a minute. <laughs> yeah, but <clears throat> anyway, um, a f- two of them said 
the players should have just stopped playing. And it was such a good point of view because we look and, and I'll digress, I'll move now, segue into what we were going to say about Mac Horton. But Mac Horton has taken a really strong stand against drug cheating. But there are people going, oh, no, it's disrespectful. It's too much. This is making people feel really uncomfortable. If the players had said, we are not playing, just refused to run out onto the ground or sat down when the booing started. And there are still media commentators who said to me on the weekend, if it was such a hindsight, accurate documentary, why did they turn up the booing? They didn't turn up the booing. No. That was what it was like. I was there. It was loud. It was not amplified for the documentary. Now, Mac Horton has done something similar. He's stood up. He's done something that FINA, Swimming's governing body, has refused to do, and that is take a stand against Sun Yang, the the drug cheat, who is a convicted drug cheat. He is currently under investigation for smashing blood vials. Can you tell me about the smashed blood vials issue? His mother organised a security guard to drop it or something, didn't well, she? Well, I'm not sure exactly how it happened. It's but some bizarre family story. It, it was story at a time then. he was being drug tested. FINA has let it go. Uh, the WADA, the World Anti-Doping Body, is is not has not let it go, but has done nothing about it. So here he is winning a gold medal at the World Championships, and Mac Horton has said no. So it's not good enough to say, "Hey, Mac, get up on the podium with him. He's served his time." No, he hasn't. He's still being investigated for this latest incident. So I just cannot believe the bravery of Mac Horton. He's going to get international flack for this, and he's going to cop. You know, apparently his girlfriends received death threats. And we know what Adam Goods went through. And I just wonder if the AFL players, who now feel guilty about the fact they didn't do enough, had actually sat down and done something unprecedented, maybe it would never have got as bad as it did. Well, that is a very good point. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about Mac Horton, but just let's, can we go back to our July challenge? More to the point, you just let slip that you had a glass of champagne. So I just want to revisit that. So that's... Where are we now? We're getting towards late July and I've had three glasses of champagne. I'm pretty happy with that, Corey. Okay. It's not exactly dry July. You're probably doing better than I am with my July challenge. You must Do you think admit- it's winter? We're just a bit weaker and a bit more vulnerable in winter? I expect your congratulation for my low alcohol. No, you said stand. you were going to do dry July, so I know. you've kind of failed. But why would I congratulate you? Because I've, I, that's, it's far less than I would be normally <laughs> drinking in the cold winter months. That glass of red has not been reached for. Well, how's your social media ban going? Well, the social media ban is a little difficult, but I've had a couple of nights in the past week where I have turned it off at 6.30 or 7 and I haven't gone back to it, which is great. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, – look, my hours are down. My, my time – not hours, God, I haven't dropped that much, but the time is down when I look at my Instagramming. So what can I say, Carol? I'm failing this one dismally. Corrie. Maybe I'm just lonely at after seven thirty. No, at night. you're not. Don't well, that, just that need is... to see how many people like me. Although you can't even do that anymore. You're addicted. Well, you can, but you just you have can. to go you have to, to your click, click, click. I know. Which I know. I mean, frankly, who would be bothered? Um, no, you wanted to say something about Mac Horton. I just wanted to say about Mac Horton. I, I think it's really fabulous that uh, the swimming community is pretty much, by and large, sticking beside him. So when he came back to the big hall where they're all staying the other night. All the swimmers gave him a standing ovation. Susie O'Neill on the project, who is like Bambi in the Australian sporting world, she can say or do no wrong. She's so highly regarded. She said, I really respect Mac for what he did. It's tough, but as athletes, we really want to compete in a fair playground. And if you feel like it's not being policed well enough, then it just gets really frustrating for athletes. And I can understand that. 
Uh, I, I think the support that's been shown is great. I think the Instagramming, Mac Horton, my big tip to you is turn off your get off Instagram and get off Facebook because it is criminal what people are saying and threatening to do. It's um oh they're just sick. It's there's been there's been some good stuff written about it. Um, our old friend John Anderson actually wrote some good stuff in um, the News Limited Press in the um, early in the week um, and was totally supportive of Mac, Mac Horton, which is great. I'm just looking forward as a – I can't help but be a sports nut to the 800 metres oh, when the two swim against each other again. Because it's going to be – and what's he on. going to do? He's been warned by Fina, gutless Fina. I mean, you know, how gutless really are they that they haven't stood up to this? And to say – for him to say that he's disrespected China, no, you've disrespected China, not Mac Horton. It's nothing to do with China. It's to do with you. It's to do with the individual. Carol, it's really interesting, isn't it, how uh, how sport, how protest on the sport field can have such a huge impact internationally. And I think, of course, of in 2016 when the American footballers in the NFL started taking a stand against police brutality and racism. And so during the playing of the national anthem at each footy game they were there were members of the of teams both black and white players who were taking, the, knee. Yeah, taking yep. the knee so no, it's it was... and it's so impactful the black panther situation all those years ago with the wonderful australian what was his name again peter uh, we'll get peter back norman. to it yeah peter norman that's right if only as i said if only and i'm sure many afl players think this too now if only they'd been stronger Caro, I wanted to talk to you about something we were talking about offline the other day. You went to the AFL Women's Lunch, which I'm fascinated to hear. And in your text to me, you said, as always, was a fascinating multi-layered occasion. Can you tell me a bit about what you mean? It was. It was fascinating. It's always fascinating. This has been an event that's been going on, oh, heavens, at least I reckon a decade now. Famously, a few years ago, um, you get a wonderful goodie bag like you do at a lot of these lunches and there was a washing powder sample in it, which <laughs> under the Andrew Demetrio rule, which really has never been forgotten. But anyway, then there's always the annual debate about do we need a women's lunch? Why do we even need a women's Sorry, lunch? Sorry, can I just say that your issue with washing powder, that probably came in quite handy. Well, it actually, I, I actually, funnily enough... For some reason, I wasn't invited that year. Some years they sort of get the invitation. I mean, you would have thought, I mean, I'm not saying I should be asked to everything, but I think I must have slipped through the net. But anyway, I had a fabulous time this year. It was moved to a bigger venue because so many women wanted to come. It was a crown. It is a wonderful occasion. Gillan McLaughlin, who um, spoke at the end, said in his speech, I know there's a view that Maybe a day will come we don't even need this lunch. But all the women were going, why? We love all getting together and, <laughs> you know, having a glass of champagne, which I didn't have, Corrie. Anyway, it was the first time I'd heard from the AFL's first Indigenous commissioner, Professor Helen Milroy. <clears throat> they are largely a faceless bunch, the AFL commission, as we saw during um, the Adam Good situation until Mike Fitzpatrick, the former chairman, put out that incredibly embarrassing and too little, too late statement about Adam Goods. But anyway, Helen Milroy was amazing. She basically said at the end of end of her speech, come on, you men, what are you afraid of? You know, just <laughs> let us in. And she, she was fantastic. She, the welcome to country was the best I'd ever heard. Oh, really? Why? Because um, it's hard to put a new spin on that. It was just beautifully delivered in a way that um, embraced football and embraced women and embraced heritage, and I and I, 
I, I made I made the point at the time. I must but say, anyway, a good welcome to country. You do learn a lot, don't you? You if, do. If, if it's a good one. And Helen Milroy was just wonderful about her own heritage. And it was just great to hear from her because she hasn't really done anything much since she became the commissioners. She's a third, currently there are three women on the commission, but the first Indigenous commissioner was a big, a big move. And I think it's significant that they chose a woman Indigenous person. Anyway, look, the Jill Lindsay oration, and it's named in honour of Jill Lindsay because she, she was um, the first woman to work at the AFL, a senior woman at the AFL for many, many years, and the first woman to become a life member, the only woman, in fact, who is a life member of the Australian Football League. This year's oration was delivered as something of a fireside chat by Megan Gale. And a lot of women were saying, oh, Megan Gale, that's an interesting choice. Of course, Megan Gale... Any relation to the footy Gale family? No. Right. But, but, you know, she's a, a famous model. She's an actress. She was in Mad Max. She's now a businesswoman in her own right. Her partner was an AFL footballer, the Carlton and Richmond footballer, Sean Hampson. There was a bit of scepticism about the fact that she was delivering the oration. In fact, it was a fireside chat. Look, I think it could have gone in a much better direction. It should have been a lot more about her business and the obstacles she has overcome as a mother in business. She talked briefly about having to fly to Italy the day after miscarrying her second child and how tough that was. And um, she had to do in a um, she had to film something for Australia's Next Top Model. That was sort of Interesting, but we didn't get enough about what she's overcome and about the business about the business obstacles she's overcome. It, it just became a bit of a chat about. So, babies. Caro, I used to work at the AFL with Jill Lindsay, and of course, you 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 were a friend of hers and a colleague of hers for many years in the football sphere. And Jill Lindsay was a, a real powerhouse in her own way. She was one of those women, one of those people who flew below the corporate radar in such a clever way. And everybody in the organisation trusted her, loved her. She was highly admired. It's a great opportunity, I would have thought, to do the Jill Lindsay oration. Oh, they've been. It's a great opportunity to get some messages some across speakers. about football. There've been some ordinary orations in the past, and there've been some brilliant ones. The MC of the event this year was Sarah Arbo, who has joined 60 Minutes, former SBS journo, the AFL lover. She's a fantastic MC, and she's obviously a 60 Minutes – she's a, a great interviewer. I just think – I don't know whether they'd prepared. There was a bit of criticism in the papers on the weekend about how it was really inappropriate. I think Sarah probably took Megan down the wrong path. There was too much about Megan's second little girl, Rosie, and what a terror she is around the house and – how you don't feel complete Which can be life. interesting in another forum, but well, not necessarily. You don't want a parenting discussion for the Jill in the duration. The thing about raving about your kids and how much you love your kids and how much they've made you complete is people who don't have children in the room feel incomplete and like, well, what a wee chopped liver. And the people who do have kids know because they've had kids. It's nothing sort of new or different. And I just think um, – there was, I don't think they could have prepared the interview well enough. And then, of course <laughs> – that two what two other things happened which were interesting. Every table was told to elect a leader, and I pointed at Gillan McLaughlin, who was on my table, and everyone and he pointed at me. And a leader from each table had to stand up, and everyone around the room. And there were there more than a thousand people there. It was like, oh no, we're going to have to get up on stage, answer a question, perform a dance, <laughs> do the hokey pokey. We won a set of speakers. It was fantastic. Oh, so that was good. Bit embarrassing. I offered to give them away, but of course, everyone insisted no. And the winner of the Jill Lindsay scholarship 
was Tricia Broad, Tricia Squires, who is the first AFL woman CEO of a state league, the Tasmanian CEO, who I've been critical of. I've been not so much of her, but her appointment. I didn't feel that she that the position was respected in that they gave it to someone who wasn't that experienced. She's copped a lot of flack at state level. Um, she's called me and told me I was being unfair on her. But and she not... is passionate for her cause. There's no doubt about that. Well, she is. But, I mean, she refused to answer a question earlier this year from a from a feature writer at the, in the Hobart Press about about Tasmania getting their own AFL team. So she wouldn't even address that, which I thought was disappointing. Anyway, she won the Jill Lindsay Scholarship, so I did swallow humble pie and go and congratulate her. And I'm she, glad she did. She accepted that, but I don't think she gave – I think I'm yeah, – Up yours, Carol. I don't think I'm on her Christmas card <laughs> list. Anyway, she has copped an enormous amount of sexist flack from within her own state, and that def- definitely is not fair. So it is, good luck it, to her. Something I would love to talk about in a future podcast is this whole idea of girls' clubs and boys' clubs. And when, you know, you're saying about the AFL women's lunch, hopefully one day, says Gillian McLaughlin, hopefully one day we won't need to do this because women don't need to be segregated. And the women going, no, no, we love it. We really love it. We really I want know. it. I know. It's quite interesting, isn't it? That's right. And <laughs> well, it, the clubs are paying. And it. you get it at golf clubs when they decide they're no longer going to have men's golf on Saturdays. They're going to bring women in or like whatever the issue is. Should we allow women into the Aussie club or something like that? There's always this argy-bargy that goes on. And sometimes Remember we wanted to get a man or there was a push to put a man into our book club? Yes. Oh, boy, did that divide the group. <laughs> I'm glad we did Fur it. Fur was flying. Well, I have to tell you, Carol, with the five book clubs that we run through the shop, we have a number of men, and they do bring a different perspective to books quite I know, often. But remember, there were quite a few women in our book club who said oh, they wouldn't feel they'd be able to talk about some of the things they talk about if there were men in the room. Like that year we voted for whose husband we thought was the best looking. <laughs> no, no, not not whose of our own husbands, other people's husbands. Yeah, and the one I it, it got back to the person I nominated that I'd nominated him. Boy, and he still <laughs> he's still dining out on it. Um, Corey, what are you grumpy about this week? I'm grumpy, Carol. This is not. I'm sure this will resonate with people around the country. I am so fed up with politicians who refuse to answer the question from journalists not just uh, off the cuff at a media conference or in the street or unexpected or as they walk out of Parliament House, but when they agree to go on a program, as Matthias Cormann, the finance minister, did earlier this week with Sabra Lane on AM, and you think that there are going to be a few hot issues. His very first comment to her about China relationships was, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to be asked about that. I don't... I, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to answer that. I, like, it was just so frustrating. Why go on the program, Matthias? We just have a little grab of that. Miss Jane's going to play that. Could you live on forty bucks a day? Uh, look, um, the New Start Alliance, which is, I guess, what you are uh, now uh, raising, is a transitional payment uh, for uh, you know, obviously. It is, and uh, you've diverted pay- straight away. Could you live, live, well, live on well, forty bucks a day? It, look, um, the New Start Allowance is a transitional payment. It's a payment that is uh, increased twice a year. It's indexed twice with, a year, with, with, and most, and, and you know, most, most, most Australians who are on New Start Allowance uh, are on uh, that payment for a very short period. Uh, our focus is on getting. That's uh, not pe- my question. Could you? Well, well you know. Obviously, um, 
this is all about we are focused on getting uh, Australians into work we are focused on uh, making sure that Australians are on uh, new start allowance for as brief a period as possible uh, and, um, and that is and well that's you know th- th- that is actually uh, not uh, the question here the question no, 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 is no no well, actually it's, I'm sorry we, we, minister we, that is the question well, I'm asking well, you we, we don't we don't want Australians to have to work to live on 40 dollars a day we want them to get into a job why do it? Why, why go on? Why go on? What did he think was going to happen? Was Sabra going to say, oh, did you have a good weekend, Matthias? Yes, oh, yes, took the kids to netball, pathetic. all that. Caro, it's time for BSF. And we would like to thank our segment sponsor, Vital Smarts. We love the gang at Vital Smarts. They're helping us have really good conversations, aren't they, Caro? We don't stop talking. But they if, are. But if uh, our potties are feeling bullied or harassed by other people, but you lack the ability to confront the situation safely, we suggest you give Vital Smarts a call. Developing your crucial conversation skills will give you the tools to talk when the stakes are high. Giving you the confidence to speak up in even the toughest situation, learn how Vital Smarts has helped organisations shift behaviours, they've changed cultures, and they've improved performance and the bottom line by visiting vitalsmarts.com.au. And then if you just slash DSTM, which is don't, shoot the messenger, there is a special offer there for you. Now, Caro, I'm going to start because I have been on a bit of a Julia Child journey this past weekend. Woolly, windy days, fire lit, cup of tea, who to turn to but Julia Child. And I know I've, I've, you and I have talked privately before about Julia Child's book, My Life in France, which actually came out a few years ago with her nephew through marriage, Alex Prudhomme. And this is a gorgeous book. There are two books I want to mention today, and this is the first one, My Life in France. If anybody ever saw the film Julie and Julia, yep, with the wonderful actress whose name completely escapes me. Apart Meryl Streep. No, not that one. The one who played Julie. Yes. Um, yeah, well, the, the cook. Come yep. back to me in a second. Anyway, Meryl Streep played uh, Julia Child in, in a most stunning performance, Complimented by Stanley Tucci, who played her lovely husband Paul. Jane, um, Jane interrupt us. Amy Adams. Thank Amy you. Adams. That's, that's the one. Uh, anyway, you know, I've, I've eaten at that restaurant that opens a film. Oh, when, fact, when they first Norman, drive over yep. the, in the channel and they pick up their car and they. Oh, it's just, it's a wonderful film. It's a wonderful film. But can I tell you, Caro, that the book My Life in France is more wonderful than the film? So this is by Julia Child. It's a real delight. Highly recommend it. So with that in my library at home, I then complimented it with a book that came into the bookshop not long ago called Julia Child, The Last Interview and Other Conversations. And this is a fabulous collection, as it says, Caro, of Julia Child's last interviews before she died, uh, I think in the early 80s from memory, but I will check that. It's a gorgeous collection of interviews and Julia talking to different journalists and different television presenters traces her life from her first go at having a crack at writing because she wanted to be a writer when she came out of college. And she wasn't much chop. She couldn't really get the fiction genre working for her. She marries Paul, who is then a member of the State Department and works for embassies around the world. And they end up in France, and she decides that she is going to take a cooking course at Le Cordon Bleu Cooking School. And from there, the rest, as they say, is history. She discovers her talent for cooking, her joy for cooking, but also more particularly her capacity to communicate the message about cooking. And as we know, she takes French cooking uh, with her co-authors and uh, other people who were working in America at the time in this sphere, but she takes French cooking to the homes of the America 
of the 1960s and the 1970s. Certainly people like your mother and my mother were highly influenced by Julia Child. Her books still sell very well, The Art of French Cooking. Yeah, the kids gave it to me after the film came out and I just love it. I actually love it more just to read rather than use. Well, she's just a beautiful writer, isn't she? And she's yep. a great communicator. Her television series was huge in the 60s and 70s. And this particular book, Julia Child, The Last Interview and Other Conversations, is a collection of conversations with her during the last few months of her life. And they really are just so enjoyable because Julia's humour, comedy come through. So I really recommend this book, Julia Child, The Last Interview. It's just a little wee book. It's not very long and it's twenty seven ninety nine. Go get them. Now, Caro, you have a screen. I want to hear all about this Palm Beach movie. Yeah, um, I, I wish you'd come. You were meant to come to the screening mm. with me, but you had bookshop, bookshop issues. issues. Look, this film is something I was so looking forward to. Interestingly, back in 1980, Brian Brown starred in another film called Palm Beach, which also starred the surf star Nat Young about the surf drug scene in Palm Beach. This is a completely different film. It's a second film directed and co-written by his wife, Rachel Ward. It is completely different to Beautiful Kate, which was a wonderful film, a wonderful and very dark film about domestic, about family abuse set in the country. Um, in both films, Brian Brown plays the patriarch figure, but the two films could not be more different. This has been slated as a comedy. It was, I noticed, funded by um, tourism money from New South Wales, and the star of the film is definitely Palm Beach. I mean, it is just the most beautiful travelogue about that part and the northern beaches of New South Wales and Avalon and Whale Beach. It's all filmed around there. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's about a group of very affluent people. I'd have to say it's Don's Party meets a big chill. It stars, you know, everyone. What's not to love about that? Oh, okay, keep going. I think it's the script that lets it down. It was co-written by Rachel Ward and Joanna Murray-Smith. Um, so I thought, gee, this is going to be unbelievable. It stars Richard E. Grant, Sam Neill and Brian Brown. Can I say Richard E. Grant follows the bookshop Instagram? Yeah, I know that, Corrie. You've said He's it before. He's my friend. We love Richard E. Grant. And, um, and we love Sam because he goes out with Laura. Yes. And look, they're good in it. Brian Brown is, in fact, very, very good in it. And their daughter, uh, Rachel and Brian's daughter. Yeah, Matilda stars as Brian Brown's daughter. Greta Skacki stars as his wife. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful cast. I mean, the cast even it, – it's funny I mentioned Don's Party and there's a touch of Emerald City about it too, the David Williamson play, but his son Felix, David Williamson's son Felix, actually plays a, a small role as a cab driver in the film. There's some brilliant performances – um, I think Greta Skacki, who is sort of a pivotal role in the film, maybe isn't as strong as she could be. But They all come together for a birthday party. They come together they? for a birthday party. It's big chill in that um, there is a dead character who you think is going to hover over the film a lot more than she actually does. In fact, her daughter who has some um, spent there was she was the main she was the lead singer in the band i think the band was called pacific sideburns or some dreadful name like that they never quite made it they had one big hit that is actually the the sort of song of the film which is written and performed by james rain in the film it's called fearless and funnily enough he had a hit called reckless didn't he with australian mm-hmm. crawl i mean there is so much that is aussie and our era about this film and yet you don't actually feel you don't fall in love with the characters. They're really a lot of 
It, the theme is really all these people who have so much good in front of them as they're getting older and they don't appreciate what it is. They don't appreciate what they have. There's a paternity issue, as there is in the big queue. Um, there's an envy issue about, you know, the Brian Brown character, like the Kevin Klein character, who has become very successful and is very wealthy. Um, and there are others in the film who are slightly envious of that. There's an actor. So is it the dialogue that lets it down? Yeah. It, look, and some of it, it is funny. It's sort of slated as a comedy. It just, it's a bit shallow. It's a bit, go and see it. It's worth seeing, definitely. And you're not, you're never bored. If nothing else, you just, the the shots of Palm Beach, where I actually visited in April, you know, is just absolutely beautiful. But it's just, it just doesn't quite bring you over the line with the relationships and the characters. There was one scene when I, I did get tears in my eyes. There was one scene. but It surprises me because Joe Murray Smith is such a strong writer on characters. It, it That's just, such her forte. It, you, it just doesn't quite get there for me. The musical score is great. You know, it's all very 80s and 70s. And just some of the conversations I think are a bit shallow. And there are certain um, – ja- the Jackie McKenzie character, who's um, Sam Neill's wife, um, she, there's an issue that she has that the film sort of touches on but never really explores and develops. The this issue of the dead character, Roxy, should definitely have been explored because her daughter is such a pivotal part of the film. But I think the characters, to me, were just a bit one-dimensional. Okay. So that's well, Palm Beach. I will still go and see it because it's a rock star cast. Um, oh, and I is. love Joanna Murray-Smith's writing, so I'll go Well, it, I'll be interested to hear we can chat. I also really I went need- with Miss Jane, and I think I can say that she probably agreed with me. I was just wondering, Cara, after we went, which was a daytime screening, I reckon if you'd gone out to dinner with your girlfriends, you'd had a couple of glasses of wine, not you should have to, I was wondering how much different we would experience the film because it just felt like I didn't quite feel what I thought I should feel. But do you think it's one of those things, go out on a girls' night and have a few, you know, drinks and then go in, maybe that oh, will I'm tug at sure. the heart shallow, more. shallow can be shallow whether you've got 10 drinks or not. And Cara can't drink anyway, Jane, as no. you know this month. Well, I always have a drink after a film, but yeah, never before. I, 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 or sometimes let, during, actually, I'm looking forward to, to having honest. a little post-mortem with you both on that. But I did want to have a chat with you about, or not now necessarily, maybe another time, but uh, the book that you raved about a couple of weeks ago by Cressida Connolly, After the Party, I finished, enjoyed it, but kind of wondering why you went so nutsy on it. Really? Yeah. And I don't want to give away anything because I know that a few potties are out there reading it madly, looking at our book sales, actually. They spiked. Thanks for that, Nance. That was very helpful. Oh, I thought it was. But I just, I need to have a workshop session with you about this. So we'll put that on notice. Oh, I thought it was a wonderful book. Now, Carol, thanks for Palm Beach. And now you have a risotto recipe. Yes. Now, this comes from a little book that um, actually Anna from the Op Shop Sister Julie gave me many years ago. She probably won't remember, but I go to it frequently when I'm making risotto. It is a, it's a tiny little hardback book. I don't have it here to tell you the name, but I doubt you'd be able to get it anymore anyway. But there's a few go-to staples in this risotto cookbook. One of them, and I do pride myself on my risotto, um, one of them is a recipe. It has been noted over the years <laughs> every time. You serve it. Um, there's a there's a smoked salmon risotto. Do you like my risotto? There's a smoked salmon risotto in there with whiskey, which is absolutely beautiful. But this is a vegetarian recipe, and it is just your perfect Sunday night recipe. I made it again on the weekend. 
I love it. It is so simple and so cheap and so beautiful. I've served it at lunches, dinner parties. Haven't went. I've gone back to it for the first time in about fifteen years. It's some um, risotto al pepperoni, risotto with peppers. Um, it says it serves four as a first course or three as a main. It definitely four as a main course is absolutely plenty. It's got very few ingredients, one yellow pepper, one red pepper, uh, four tomatoes. They say peeled, seeded and chopped. I don't seed them. I just chop them. Um, vegetable stock, the perfect Italian arborio rice, chili powder. I said vegetable stock, uh, extra virgin olive oil by whoever you want, not necessarily Mr. You know C. who? Um, basil leaves, chilli powder and parsley. But You're not getting a mention until you sponsor us, Mr. C. This is, the, the interesting thing about this one is, um, so you heat up four tablespoons of the olive oil and you chuck in garlic and parsley. And did Give, you your usual one glass of wine for the pot, one for me? Oh, no, because you're on no, dry July. No, you're no, only doing three champagnes. There's, there's no wine in this one. There's no oh, wine okay. in this one. Um, you, once it starts sizzling, you add the chopped tomatoes and you just cook the tomato, the garlic and the parsley and the olive oil. Then you chop up all the peppers. They say to skin them, but again, but then they say if you don't have time, don't bother. I just chopped them and seeded them into little pieces and one yellow and one red makes it the most beautiful colour. Chuck that in. Cook it for maybe about, I don't know, five or ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes. Then you throw in the rice. So you let the rice absorb all the tomatoey, peppery, garlicky, parsley sort of change color. Does it um, change, change color? No. no. Well, yeah, it, it's sort of it's sort of a ready, mm. orangey recipe, and then you just start ladling in the vegetable stock, which you've got boiling on another part of the stove. Look, it is so beautiful. And then when it's done, when it's sort of al dente, you add two more tablespoons of olive oil, and then stir that around and turn it off. Leave it for a few minutes. Serve it with basil leaves and um, oh, you spring, yeah, that's when you add a bit of salt and pepper and chilli flakes, or it says chilli powder. I did chilli flakes and then just chuck some basil leaves on the top and I did parmesan. It is so beautiful. It is delicious. It is a perfect Sunday night comfort food. I'll put the recipe up on the website, Corrie. You will love it. It was interesting, Caro, during the MasterChef finale week, which we are currently in as we record this. I can't watch it with George Columbaris on it. I'm sorry, they should have made it. I know they couldn't get rid of him for the finale because it was all filmed at least last month or the month before. But how he got onto the cover of the Good Weekend? What a poor piece don't of judgment! Don't turn against. Well, that, that was, was that was really unfortunate timing. But with a halo, with a halo of well, words around him, that was really him. unfortunate. But don't turn against MasterChef. This is these are the nicest contestants we've ever had. So don't. Turn but every against time them. George has a go at them about their cooking, you go. Oh, Please, George. Lost credibility, George. Yeah. No, look, can we just focus on well done to those who, and I notice he lost his those who got into position, the top three. Um with the Tourism West Australian. West WA, yeah. yep, he did. So I think Sorry, there might be more on. to come. Anyway, uh what I was gonna say is that he said during the week with one of the uh dishes that was served, fantastic uh fantastic meal. Great vegetarian for Monday night because increasingly people are eating vegetarian on Monday nights, which I thought was so interesting because um, we're eating a lot more vegetarian in our house, but we've been doing vegetarian on Monday nights for eons before it even became cool to be a flexitarian. Oh, that's amazing. And a flexitarian is? I was hoping you'd ask me that. <laughs> it's a new word I learned from one of the book reps. You know how they always come in with, oh, it's a, um, you know, 
misery memoir or something and go, what's that? So the other day, this is a perfect book for flexitarians. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? That's somebody who moves comfortably between fish, meat, and vegetable. I would have just thought a normal eater, but That's, look. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is ridiculous. Some of these, you know how yeah, I. now flexitarian. You know how I get all my um, tips from the Channel 9 makeup and wardrobe girls. Well, they're Clearly. one. The one, They're I coming learned, on this show, potties. I learned Make this no last mistake, year. Jane and I have got our notepads ready to take shorthand. And you probably have known about this for years, but the other day or the other month, in fact, one of them said to me, I said, where are you going on your holiday? And she said, oh, no, I'm having a staycation. Now, I, I've, I had never heard of a staycation. It is obvious what it is. It's a vacation when you don't go no, away. Hang on. Vac- vacation. Oh, drop the thing. Sorry, I was, drop my headphones. Uh, the vacation is such an American affectation. No, it's like Halloween. It does not belong in our culture. But a staycation does. And it sort of is perfect, isn't it? The perfect wording. In fact, Tony Jones from Channel 9 the other day came in and I said, oh, how was your staycation? You always regret it, don't you? You wish you'd gone away. He said, bull, whatever, bulltish. I had a fantastic time. I spent... Most of the time in my shed. One day I was in my shed from nine. I don't think it's a true holiday vacation. Get away, I say. Do you know what Tony Jones did on his staycation? He built a. He makes pens. He what? He makes these beautiful designer ballpoint pens. Good grief! One would never have thought that. He makes wooden ones. He makes ones with sort of psychedelic. Oh, they're absolutely ones out of resin. They're the most, he showed me one. They're absolutely beautiful. If I said to you what's a craft activity that no one would know that you do, what do you do? I, Tony said this to me. I said, well, I, I get your pen thing because I make wreaths out of shells and coral <laughs> and driftwood. That's your craft thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was totally supportive of it. But I said to Tony, you think you know someone? Don't you Who want to ask known? me what my craft activity is? Well, I'm wondering because I, I don't. <laughs> I haven't seen signs of it. <laughs> I draw my own Christmas paper. Well, I oh, used to. I haven't done it since I've had the shop, but I used to every year get butcher's paper and I would get gold or buy some gold or silver pens and I would draw love hearts, Merry Christmases, Antlers. I'm quite good at antlers, Carol. If you ever need a reindeer. Well, why haven't you done it for 10 years? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will You've now. Got I have grandchildren. paper at the shop, I guess. Why I would do, you? exactly. But now I have grandchildren. Maybe I'll get back into the crafty zone. Anyway, we are so off topic. Thank you, Vital Smarts, for going with us on that journey of incredibly indulgent, yucky, mishmash stuff, um, like my craft activity. Uh, Vital Smarts. Globally proven, crucial conversations hold tough conversations well. So we hope that you will go to vitalsmarts.com.au and have a look at what they do. Corrie, it's time for six quick questions. Where were you when man landed on the moon? Well, I wasn't born. Yes, you were. Ha, ha, ha. Liar. <laughs> I've had you for a second there. No, I, 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 you didn't have me for a second at all. We were shepherded into Mrs. Steele's grade three classroom about 80 people, 80 kids and a few teachers, and there sitting on a stool was, we'd never seen one before, a portable television set, which was unheard of back in 1969. Certainly in school. I remember my parents not long afterwards actually bought one for our house, but the school had obviously realised that they had an an issue with their electrical equipment. So somebody went out and and then in half a dozen different rooms, they put up these little portable televisions. So you know the size of a portable television. We had had one in our – I was in grade four. We had one in the the junior school gym. 
the whole school went in and watched it. What, one little television? Yeah, we all went into the gym. Oh, and there was no AV in those days, Dal. No, no. I mean, I, my brother was so obsessed by it. He's a year younger than me, so he's about the same age as you. And he, I mean, he we, we shared a bedroom and he had pictures of Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins and Edwin Aldrin on our bedroom wall. They were everywhere. He collected, he had um, made models of lunar modules. I mean, he absolutely was obsessed. Who was your favourite? Well, at the time, Neil Armstrong. Oh, no, I, I had a crush on Michael. What's his name? Because I thought he was so good looking. There was actually a good column written the other day by our friend Gary Linnell about how it, if only it had been Buzz Aldrin, if only he'd been. And it, there, I do remember an article where he only realised at some point that he was going to be second because of where he was sitting in the module at the time. And um, Neil Armstrong was so boring and such a recluse. You know, oh, no, but it, he was a good captain. He was steady, hand on. But, but Buzz was, was such a, an out there man. Yeah, well, he, beca- he had an alcohol problem, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, because he was number two. Yeah, and what about Paul Michael? It. What was his Collins? Senate? Collins, who well, just flew around. Yeah, well, we. Still but I thought he, remembered. I thought he was the bravest though, because he let the others go. He was the one keeping the home ship burning, and he was the one who was going to have to go and save them if something went terribly wrong. And he was very good looking back in the day. There was still, there was a great um, little mini documentary on the ABC last week that had people like Magda Zabanski and ast- astronauts, and just talking about the um, Normie Row the cultural significance yes. of it all, which was um, absolutely wonderful. But well, it sort my, of fizzled the moon, really, well, didn't it? Well, on the on moon topics, Carol, I want to ask you, what's your favourite song with a moon or an outer space theme? Look, I, Don't I was, say ground control to Major Tom. But Space Oddity is just the most brilliant song. That is my favourite one. I really? mean, I, I love moon. Well, moon river doesn't really count, does it? <laughs> Um, I, Breakfast I've, at Tiffany's, when she's looking for that cat at the end of the film, I cry song. every time. It's a beautiful song, but it's not really about the moon and it's not really about this, uh, about being in outer space. I mean, I love Fly Me to the Moon. I love Harvest Moon. Uh, there are so many. I love Blue, Blue Moon is a beautiful song, but I honestly believe moon that, River? that Space Oddity is just the – no, I've just oh, said, said that. Oh, we said that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Get with it. I think that Space Oddity, that David Bowie song is so sad it is. and um, so moving. No, I think it that's really, my favourite really, song. It really made him, didn't it? Now, what's the latest buzz phrase that's giving you the irrits? The buzz phrase that's giving me the irrits is double down. So if you've been watching or following the media uh, coverage of Donald Trump's uh, racist comments about the four congressmen known as the squad, congresswomen, I should say. Double down is everywhere. Double down, Cara, we should know this from playing poker. It's a double doubling a bet after seeing one's initial card. So when you pick it up and you see you've got the two aces, you then do another bet. So you go in harder. So the point about Donald Trump's racism comments is that even though everybody said it's racist, you shouldn't say it, he went in harder. So he doubled down. But it is an American... Uh, affectation used extensively over there. But I was surprised to see that even Channel 7 here in Australia said Donald Trump doubles down on racist attacks against congresswomen. So I didn't really expect that. So I'm just a bit sick of this uh, this kind of – because I think a lot of people out there don't actually know what double down means. So I've just given you an explanation. But I'm sick of these phrases creeping in. Now, Caro, I was glued to the golf on the weekend, the British Open – what is your curious connection between this year's British Open winner Shane Lowry and your family? Well, it wasn't that unbelievable an Irishman winning in only the second British Open to be held in Ireland. Um, story time. It story was, time. It, Shane Lowry was. It, it was like um, 
there were bedlam scenes there. It was like a rock concert. It was like the days of, you know, young Tom and old Tom in Scotland, the way golf used to be with heckling and screaming and he, and such a beautiful course too. Only two golfers from the Irish Free State from the Republic of Ireland have ever won the British Open. He's the second. There have been five Irishmen in total, including three from Northern Ireland. But Shane Lowry comes from Mullingar in Westmeath, in County Westmeath, which is the birthplace of my father-in-law, my oh. dear departed father-in-law, Ted Donoghue, who died late last year. How lovely. Yeah, that, that was his hometown. That's his hometown. So I just thought that was a lovely local connection, not lost on my husband, Brendan, who was absolutely delighted. And dear Brendan lost his darling dad. Was it November? La- yep, yeah. Yep, late November. Oh, that's November. so lovely. Yep, so one for County Westmeath. Now, uh, Corrie, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister. Good for democracy, bad for democracy. Bad for democracy, Caro. Bad for democracy. I just think he's been caught out telling so many lies over, well, over his whole life, actually. He was sacked from the Times when he was a young reporter because he made up quotes that he alleged somebody had said and they hadn't. He's just, I think he just uh, offends people. He has, over the years, made comments that are consistently racist, homophobic. He's anti-female. He's completely inconsistent in his beliefs. He's insulted world leaders and he dropped red wine on his partner's white sofa and didn't apologise. <laughs> well, we sort of have a bit of sympathy with him there because he probably didn't deserve the um I just the don't, I just don't uh, don't fancy Britain's chances under his premiership. My question to you is the last one, of course, Cara, what is your GLT? Mass M A S. Not the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences, Corrie. It is a cleaning product that my cousin Georgie put me onto. It is, it's a silver cleaner. You can only buy it online. Um, oh, I'm not happy about that, Caro. Well, I'd rather people go shopping at the village. Well, any village. Corrie, anywhere. get with the program. Not only does it clean silver, that's a bit mean. Well, no, but some things you just have to buy online and they're. It's it's not cheap, but it's not expensive. It's basically the most it, – it doesn't only clean silver. It cleans stainless steel. It cleans anything metal. Oh, um, well, that's quite handy. Yeah, and the way Georgie described it, and I've since done a bit of research on it, it is just absolutely brilliant. It's called MAAS Mass Polish. Look online. It's Australian, and uh, I think you can buy a two-tube special at the moment with a free polishing cloth for thirty nine ninety five. Give it a go. It is something that, you know, when you get out and clean the silver and it's a major thing and, you know, you well, do I'm it every three I'm still in the cutlery months. drawer trying to get the crumbs. Although thank you to one of our listeners, Megan Rule, who wrote in to us this week and suggested that I go to Ikea and get a cutlery, uh, what do you call it, plastic kind of thing, an insert that you put in your drawer oh. because they have round corners, not corner corners. Well, they don't have corners. But then it's you, round. Yeah, but, then you, but my cutlery drawer in the rental where I live is actually built in. So that's my problem with the cutlery drawer. Well, as someone who has some silver and some stainless steel, but they all get marked. And you know, they can get those black marks on them and other mm, weird yes, marks. problem. Funny marks out of the dishwasher. This mess stuff cleans it all. Caro, one word, chopsticks. <laughs> oh, don't. You don't need to. 
You don't need to polish your silver anymore. Well, how do you eat soup with chopsticks? That's the end of Don't Shoot the Messenger for this week. We've had a jolly time. Thank you to all our listeners for your feedback. We love it. Please tell all your gang that we exist. We are growing slowly but surely, our audience. And, of course, dare I say, our Instagram account, Caro, we are getting new followers by the minute. Find us on Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page and you can leave your messages there or, of course, the Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pod. We love seeing your messages there as well. And we do tweet, so you can join us at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Don't forget that we are going to celebrate our 100th episode in September. We're not sure where, how, why, or whether Carrot will be back in the drinking wagon. But I hope she is because that'll be more fun. But we'll let you know about it because we want as many potties as we can to come and join us with that. Thanks, Miss Jane Neal, our terrific producer. Thank you, Vital Smarts, our sponsor of BFSF. And what do we say, Caro? Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie.